somebody much wiser than me has said that to that uh, everything in the Christian life is easier than true prayer. It's easy to say prayers. Much harder, actually, to pray. Some people find it so hard to pray that they just give up. I have to confess I've found myself in that position sometimes. It isn't easy to pray. People say, well, God knows my heart. How should we go about prayer? What should we pray for? What are we allowed to pray for? How do we approach our great, eternal, almighty God? How, how is such a one ever to be approached? Do we just present a list of our, our wants and desires and hope, well, some of them will be granted for us? Is there a way of ensuring that what we ask we're going to get? some secret. The Lord Jesus gave us a model prayer, a pattern prayer, a template. He only gave one, gave it on more than one occasion. Uh, ladies, uh, if you still knit, you don't see many ladies knitting these days, but they have patterns. And they have to buy the wool and they have to put the work in, but there's a pattern if they're going to be successful. Um, and for the computer buffs, of course, we know all about templates. And so this prayer is, is a pattern. It's a template to help us. Jesus says, don't pray like the hypocrites. they just to be seen. Don't pray like the pagan that keep on repeating things over and over again, prayer wheels or beads or whatever, anything mechanical, Parrot fashion. Don't pray like that. Pray like this, he said. Now we need to be clear what this pattern is not. It's not a charm. It's not a good luck talisman. It's uh, not something like a rescue button, a panic button you press when you're in trouble. You know some films that you see and the men are in trouble and they immediately say, Our oh, Father, which art in heaven, or maybe Hail Mary, full of grace, or whatever. It's a kind of charm. Um, get us out of here somehow. It's not a key part of a liturgy that you must say in order that God will hear you. Jesus said, This is how you should pray. And we say sometimes, let's say the Lord's Prayer. We need to pray the Lord's Prayer. Just saying, well, I'm going to say the Lord's Prayer, it's a, it's a bit as if you do regard it as some kind of piece of magic or something that gets you somewhere with God. This is a, a pattern prayer, and it is meant to be prayed. And so we need to think about this example. Jesus didn't say that these are the only words that we should use, but we need to know the pattern. 
He didn't say, just pray how you like, it doesn't matter. He said, when you pray, pray like this. So it's very important for us to think about the Lord's Prayer. It's the only pattern that he ever gave about prayer. He did talk about prayer and about persistence in prayer and all sorts of things. This is the only actual pattern that he gave us. And I think as, as you look at it, you see that it is a complete prayer. Just let's summarize it. It starts, Our Father in heaven. And then there are two groups of three prayers, three requests. And then after that comes an ending, which didn't occur in our reading, if you noticed. But often as we pray together, we say, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now those words go back very, very far into early church history, such that those words actually occur in the old authorized version or the King James version of the Bible. But um, as people have studied the ancient text, they feel that possibly they weren't there originally. But there's nothing wrong with those words. They're a kind of doxology, and they refer back to the rest of the prayer. And it's perfectly right for us to use it. So you have our Father in heaven, and then you have these two blocks of three. First, God's concerns, your name, your kingdom, your will. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And quite possibly, on earth as it is in heaven applies to all three. Your name be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, and so on. God's concerns. Now, Often we tend to rush in with our thoughts and our worries and our requests. Jesus is teaching us that we put his concerns first, his interests first. We start with a concern for God and his glory. And then the second block of three requests. Give us, forgive us, and deliver us. Every aspect of our lives is covered in these three. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Every aspect of life, our bodily needs, our needs of forgiveness, and our need for spiritual protection. It's all there. And when we have truly prayed this prayer, we will understand a lot more about what we should ask for ourselves. So let's look at it very briefly. We're not going on for a long time this morning, but let's just look at it briefly. Our Father, it starts. Now, we may address the Holy Spirit in our prayers and uh, well, an old hymn will give us an example, for instance. We uh, used to sing, Spirit divine, attend our prayers. Make this house thy home. Asking the Holy Spirit to come to us as we come and worship together. That's not wrong. And we can pray to our Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, well, uh, 
a verse came to mind that's almost a, a thousand years old, Bernard of Clairvaux. Jesus, the very thought of thee with sweetness fills my breast. So w- we can address the Holy Spirit and we can address our Lord Jesus. But generally speaking, we speak to our Heavenly Father. This is what Jesus taught us to do. When you pray, say, Our Father. None of us has had a perfect father. (laughs) Some of us have had a bad father. But we have a perfect father. The father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All that a father should be, he is that to us. Trustworthy dependable, loving, consistent, teaching and training, patient, compassionate, protective, our Heavenly Father. And this is how God is towards those who are committed to Jesus and his way, our Father, And our Father in heaven, it says. And that that means more than he's not an earthly father. It has to do with his greatness and his glory, his majesty, his knowledge, his power, his wisdom. This is the one we're coming to. His his otherness, He's, he's so utterly different from us. His holiness, his righteousness, all of these things, his immortality. What an amazing thing it is that we can call such a being our Father. This is what Jesus is teaching us. Our Father in heaven. We are related to him. We're in his family. That's the amazing thing if we are believers on the Lord Jesus. And so right at the outset, this prayer reminds us of who we are, just specks of dust in front of such a being as this. And do you remember what Tim Lewis was saying about Daniel last week? How Daniel starts off with speaking of the greatness of God and he comes in great humility. So as we approach God, we need to keep these two things in our minds, both together. Our Father in heaven. Then we come to what we can call God's concerns, these three requests. Hallowed be your name. We're saying that we want our Father to be honored, revered, respected, worshipped, Reverence, held in awe, high esteem, everywhere on earth as it is in heaven. This is our desire. We, we, we do this in our hearts, and Father, hallowed be your name. And of course, his name stands for his character and his reputation. For all that he is, for all that he's done for people like us in sending the Lord Jesus, as we were remembering just now, 
and for all that he's going to do, all the promises that he has made related to his people, his name. It's not a question of keeping the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. It's not that. It is a sense of our admiration, our sense of love, of gratitude. And when the Lord's name is profaned, it, it pains us. We don't sit in judgment, but we are pained because we know something, just a little bit of his glory. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And of course, we're not praying for an earthly, geographical, political kingdom. You remember the words of Jesus, my kingdom is not of this world, else would my servants fight. No, the kingdom of God is a spiritual community. It is God's rule or God's reign in the hearts of men and women who are committed to him. That's his kingdom now. Those who through faith in Jesus, as Paul said, have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light. And they want God to rule in their lives, the kingdom. Not exactly the same as being a church member. You can be a church member, you can be an office holder in in a church, in the visible church, without knowing God's grace at work in your life. You can be a stranger to that, but you can be a church member, even a church officer. But to be in the kingdom means that God is ruling in your life because of Jesus. And, of course, it's an international community. We want God's kingdom to stretch further and further and further around the world, as it is doing today. And uh, we say, your kingdom come. That's what we want. We want an increase, too, in the maturity of that kingdom. Your kingdom come. Numbers and maturity. We're concerned, too, for the persecuted in that kingdom. And we're concerned for the reputation of the kingdom. And we're looking forward to the completion of that kingdom when our Lord Jesus Christ shall return in glory and power and there shall be a new heaven and a new earth. The consummation of all that God has promised. The final end of all his intentions. The kingdom finally established a new heaven and a new earth. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now this is not a fatalistic prayer. Well, yes, let your will come. We can't do anything about it and we'll put up with it when it comes. It's not that. But we actively want God's purposes to be fulfilled on earth. We're saying that this is our personal desire and aim. Your will be done on earth. We want to see men and women doing God's will. It's a concern to us. Just take the Ten Commandments for a minute. Just imagine what this world would be like if everybody kept the Ten Commandments. 
would have been a different place. No lying, no stealing, no cheating, no murder, no adultery, no sexual crime, no violence. This is how God intended his creation to live and how he specifically wants his people today to live. So in summary, on these first three, and you notice we're, we're rushing along very quickly this morning. In summary, Jesus is teaching us that we come to God first of all, desiring his honor and his glory. In our lives, in the lives of all his people and throughout the whole world. We want to see our Father's name hallowed and revered. We want to see his kingdom spreading throughout the whole earth. And this is our worship and adoration as we come to him. Do you remember Tim Lewis again last week? He said he found very helpful as a guide in prayer, A-C-T-S. First one was adoration. It is exactly the same. Our Lord teaches it to us. Rather than rush in with wants and requests, we first of all honor and reverence him in our hearts. Think of the Old Testament prayers. Uh, Moses and David and Solomon. and Well, and Daniel, as we were thinking about last week. How they wanted, first of all, God's glory. And as I said just now, when we get to there, we can begin to understand what we should pray for for ourselves. So let's look at the requests for ourselves again very briefly. These three requests. It starts off, give us our daily bread. Now this isn't talking, everyone agrees, not just about bread, but it's talking about all that we need for our daily lives. Everything necessary to sustain life. We are expressing a a dependence upon him. We're acknowledging that God is involved in all our circumstances. He knows all about us, even the hairs of our head. And he knows everything that we have need of. So if you look at the second half of this chapter 6 of Matthew, and Jesus goes on to talk about the things that we need. And in fact, twice in this chapter he says, your heavenly Father knows what you need. Have you ever said to yourself, well, if he knows, why do I need to ask? But Jesus tells us that as an encouragement to pray. Ask him. He knows what you need. It's an invitation. So we may pray for those things which are necessary to us in our daily life. It's not, we shouldn't be fatalistic. Well, he knows what I need. I'll see what he sends. But we are meant to ask him to be in fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Well, we tend to concentrate our prayers very often, don't we, in this little section. We pray for material things. and We pray for health and well-being, and that's not wrong. But you notice, out of these three requests for ourselves, the other two, are really quite different. And they're talking about our spiritual walk, our pilgrimage as Christians. 
Forgive us our debts, our reading said. The um, passage in Luke talks about forgive us our sins. And of course, the old version you all know was forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Some people say, well, does it mean he hasn't forgiven me yet? I'm saying, forgive, forgive me. My, has he not forgiven me? The best illustration I can give you is of the Apostle Peter. You remember that night before Jesus was betrayed and taken captive? He was in the upper room with his disciples. And he took a towel, it says, and a basin. And he went round to wipe the feet of each one. And no doubt the disciples were feeling very shame-faced that they had left their master to do such a thing. And he comes to Peter. And Peter says, are you going to wash my feet? Oh, no. No, certainly not. You'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says to him, if I don't wash your feet now, you have no part with me at all. Well, in that case, Lord, wash my hands. Wash my head. And Jesus says to him, he that has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. Now when we come to the Lord Jesus, we ask for his forgiveness. We open our lives to him. We turn to him and we realize how wrong we've been and we turn to him and we look to him as our savior and we ask his forgiveness. Then we are completely forgiven and acquitted. We are a forgiven person. He puts our feet on a rock. We're not what we was, or what we were. Sorry about that. We're new people, and there's a sermon in itself. But in our daily walk, our daily pilgrimage as Christians, our feet get dirty. We know they do. We fail. We go astray. Sometimes we do it deliberately. We know. And so we need to ask forgiveness for our daily sinning, our daily falling short. That's what the Lord was teaching his disciples there. And that's what this prayer is all about. When we come first to the Lord, we are forgiven entirely. But we ask him to forgive us these daily things that can mar our fellowship with him. Then we come, forgive us our sins or our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You notice our translation put that in the past tense. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Some translations put it like that. It isn't forgive me and I will forgive other people. And did you notice in our reading that this is the one thing that the Lord emphasizes when he's teaching about prayer. He gives us this model prayer and do you notice there were two verses afterwards? He says a forgiving person will be forgiven. An unforgiving person will not be forgiven. Now, (laughs) we can't read this as a kind of bargain. 
because we cannot do anything to merit our forgiveness. That's clear right through the New Testament. But what he's saying is this, that when we really realize how much we have been forgiven, it enables us to forgive other people. Nothing compares with what I have been forgiven and what people can do to me. That's what he's saying. And he told a story about this. Again, you'll find it in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, and we're not going into it this morning. But if this is a question that troubles you, read this story in Matthew 18. Christians are forgiven people, and they are forgiving people. Willfully and persistently to refuse to forgive is inconsistent with being forgiven. Well, that's tough, isn't it? We may have struggles over forgiving certain people. We may have struggles about forgiving certain things. But it remains true that what has been done against me is small compared to what I have been forgiven by God. Now, we may not see that. Perhaps we need to ask our Father to show us how much we have been forgiven. But that's what's behind this prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. The same word means testing. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into testing. And we are asking for protection from all forms of evil and from the devil himself, that our fellowship with our Heavenly Father may not be broken. We're expressing distrust of ourselves and putting our trust in him. We realize that we are vulnerable, liable to fail, We fall easily. Just again think of Peter. That same time in that upper room just before the Lord was betrayed. And the Lord says to his disciples, you know, you're all going to fall away because of me this night. And they look at him probably aghast. The Lord says, yes, that's going to happen. And Peter says, oh no, Lord. It may be true of these. And he looks at the others. But I will never, I will never do that. You don't know me, Lord. (laughs) Just you, you try me, see what I'm made of. And you remember what a bitter lesson he had to learn. We need the Lord's protection. In fact, the Lord said to him, I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And so we pray, deliver us from evil, from the evil one. We confess to our Father that we're weak and vulnerable, prone to sin, liable to be defeated without his strength. So then, our Father, prayers about God and his concern, prayers about our concerns, and then the doxology. For thine is the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom we're talking about. Yours is the power. You are able to do all of these things. Yours is the glory. We want your glory forever and ever. Amen. What 
a complete prayer this is. It leads us to worship and adoration. It prompts us to honor God, pray for his concerns. And then only after that come our petitions for ourselves, for our personal needs, for forgiveness and our relationships, for protection. You notice the balance, what comes first, what comes after. And you notice the balance in our own concerns, our own needs. But two of the three petitions to do with ourselves are for our spiritual well-being. This is the pattern that the Lord gives us in prayer. Someone has said that you can take each line of this prayer and regard it as a heading. And under the heading, you can put all other things that relate to that. You expand upon it. And so you do all the way through the prayer. It helps you to pray. It's a pattern. It's a template. And perhaps in our groups this week, one of the things that we will do is to discuss what we would put in under those headings. We've touched on only a little of all that this prayer means. I invite you to pray this prayer with me aloud. We'll pray it together as we finish. We'll pray it slowly. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.